Welcome to Enlisted Craftsmen, where veterans talk knives and lives. My name's Ethan Lee of E. Lee Custom Knives, and I'm joined by Garrett Elting of Steel Pig Forge and Mike Rizzo of Muffin Man Metalworks. Be sure to give us a follow at the underscore enlisted underscore craftsman on Instagram. And if you would like a question or a funny military story of yours featured on the show, be sure to email us at enlistedcraftsman at gmail.com. Fresh muffins hot out of the oven! Hey guys, welcome back to Enlisted Craftsman. It's just me today, solo. So we've talked a lot about knives, and we've talked quite a bit about military stuff, but one thing I was thinking about that we haven't talked about is sheaths. And leatherwork, kydex, sheaths such as that. So I wanted to do a little bit of leather talk because I know leather a lot better than I know Kydex. I, I have made some Kydex stuff. I have some of my Broussard model knives, but most of what I do when it comes to knife sheaths is leather work. And over my time I've been making knives, I've tried several different types of leather and I even kind of apprenticed for a short, really short period of time under another leather worker. Him and I kind of had a falling out, but regardless, I, I've learned a lot about leatherwork through the years I've been making knives and stuff, and I'm still not as good at it as I would like to be. In fact, I think that I need to really focus a lot more on my leatherwork, but I wanted to just talk about in general leather stuff. So first of all, what is leather? Well, I mean, you might think that question is kind of like, well, it's it's skin. Well, so what leather actually is, is the skin itself, it's, it's really three layers of skin on most any animal. There's the epidermis, which is the skin that, on the outside that everybody sees on a, a hair, hair on animal like a cow or deer or whatever. That's going to be below the hair where you really can't see it. But the epidermis is the top layer. It's a relatively thin layer. The next layer is the thickest layer, and that's called the dermis. And then the layer below that that's inside on the flesh side of the hide is actually called the hypodermis. For instance, such as like a hypodermic needle, hypodermis. And... The reason all this is important is because to understand the tanning process that leather goes through, it's it's really important to understand what leather is built up of. So leather is made up essentially of a bunch of collagen fibers. All these collagen fibers are kind of intertwined together with each other. And it's actually in a gluey substance. 
And if anyone's ever heard of hide glue, like they typically use on furniture because it's the perfect strength where if it breaks, it'll break right at that joint. Hide glue is typically used to uh, put together furniture. And it's, it's, it's somewhat strong, but what, what hide glue actually comes from is the hide. You can actually make your own hide glue if you have a green hide. You can cut up chunks of it and just simmer it in some water until the water evaporates, and then you're left with a sticky substance, and that's hide glue. So all these collagen fibers are intertwined in this gluey substance, and it's if you'd ever skinned a deer or something, you notice that a hide is really oily. Well, a lot of that oil is, is really neat's foot oil. And that neat's foot oil is oil that's extracted from the hide during the whole tanning process. So why does a hide need to be tanned? Well, if you think about it, so we've got a lot of intertwined collagen fibers inside of a gluey substance. And what'll happen is if, if you've ever, like I said, if you've ever skinned a deer and just laid the hide out to dry, that hide will dry it'll be almost, it'll be super stiff. You can, you can bend it, but it's kind of like a rawhide bone you, you buy for a dog. It's, it's just stiff. And if it's, if nothing's really done to it, you'll actually see oily stuff rise on the surface whenever it dries. And some of that is Neat's foot oil, actually. And in order for a hide to turn into a piece of leather, it has to be tanned. And so for leather like I use for knife sheets, it's, it's cowhide, and they take the hair off, which typically they can do that by soaking it in water and, and some chemicals to keep the smell down. You can take the hair off, and after, give it like a few days or a week or so, that hair, it'll, it'll loosen up all the, the hair follicles, and you can pull the hair right out. It, it just slips right out like nothing. Then, on a cowhide specifically, the nice fine side you see is where the hair used to be, that you're seeing the epidermis there. And that's where you get that nice, smooth, textury side. Well, then on the other side, you'll see all the fibery stuff, and that's actually the dermis. They typically take off the hypodermis, if, I, if I'm correct on that. And so that, that all that, oh, that, that, na that, not really nasty, but the, rougher side of the skin that's the flesh side that's on the inside of the body and the nice fine side is the hair side really the finish side so that's what leather is and the tanning process it's is actually they use an oil and it, there's there's a couple different methods industrial ways how they do it but if you were to do it in your backyard one method is to actually use brain it's called brain tanning it's where you take the uh, brain from the animal and they say every animal except for the buffalo has enough brains to tan its own hide and you can make a solution and use soak the uh, the hide in the, the like a bucket of water mixed with this the brains and the brains actually contain an oil called lecithin however you say it let I don't remember how you say it, but the brains contain that oil. And then what'll happen, you would take and they would call it breaking the hide. You'd rub the hide. You'd, you'd get it saturated with that oily substance. 
Then you'd go over to a breaking stake and you would rub that hide until it is dry. And at that point, you've lubricated all the fibers, you've stretched them out, and they're not going to glue together anymore. At that point, you would have a piece of leather. And then there was even an extra step that the Indians and 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 really still if you if you brain tan at all it's how you have to do it you have to actually smoke the hide get a fire and use some tree leaves or something and make some smoke and then the smoking does another chemical change that allows the hide to not turn back hard after it's been tanned so that's kind of the way that all the Indians and everybody did it back in the day but Today, we have industrial methods, and there's two main ways that leather is tanned. So, one way is chemically tanned, and I don't know the exact chemicals, but it's essentially a, like a soaking process for, from what I'm understanding. Well, both these are really a soaking process, but I'm not, I, haven't, I don't know a ton about how they do it, but the big two is chemically tanned and veg tanned. Chemically tanned is a much cheaper thing to do, and it is also a much faster way to tan hides. And I've been told here in the U.S. there's not a ton of it anymore just because of regulations and stuff, so a lot of it happens over in other countries other than Europe and the United States. But then the other big way of tanning hides is called veg tanning, and there's some different mixtures of stuff they use here, but a big one in this is tree bark, actually. And depending on the leather, they use uh, tree bark. And in the, the whole mixture that they, like I say, I believe they soak it somehow. And then I think they have a process where they stretch it and break it. But they, uh, they use tree bark, and then that's like a two-month process. So it's generally a lot more expensive. However, I will tell you when it comes to knife sheaths, use veg tan leather. Stay away from chemically tan leather for every at every cost because the reason why is that chemically tan leather will make knives rust. If you use nickel silver on a knife sheath, it'll turn that green. If you use brass on a knife, it'll turn that green tarnish it oh it, it's chemically tan leather ju just stay away from it when it comes to knife sheaths and i really try not to buy anything unless i know exactly where it came from so there's two main leather sources i use first is herman oak herman oak is a tannery in st louis missouri and you can't buy directly from them unless you buy 10 sides of one thickness of one exact hide. So that's, they, they wholesale only. And if you buy 10 of them, they'll sell them to you directly. But other than that, if you want just one or two, you got to go to a dealer. And there's several de dealers that carry them. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that Tandy doesn't actually carry them. I know that Montana Leather Company, oh, believe Springfield Leather Company, they they all, they all carry Herman Oak. But Herman Oak is pretty much regarded as the premium leather that there is. They have a, it, it's like a fourth or fifth generation tannery, I believe. They've 
been doing it for years and years. They have a process and they have a special mixture of bark they even use, I'm told. But more so, uh, Herman Oak is, from what I have noticed in the different leathers I have used, it has a certain firmness to it and it holds tooling like after you've tooled a knife sheath basket we've stamped or whatever, it holds that tooling better than anything else I think I've used. And it, it just has a, a really special feel to it. They do sell it in, uh, they do sell dyed sides of Herman Oak. It's uh, more expensive, naturally. But uh, Herman Oak really is good. And I have only ever bought it raw, and I have, uh, I've dyed it. And the process. And another thing that's really cool about Herman Oak, and and there's other leathers that can do this too, is you can actually suntan it. Now, so it's a special mixture of bark that I believe is what I heard they use. I don't really know. I'd, I'd have to look into that further. But you can lay this leather out in the sun, and you can actually suntan it. Now, it doesn't get super, super, like, dark, but it'll go from that nice, raw, light tan color to a nice saddle tan color. So that's one good thing about it, is you can set it in the sun on a nice, sunny day. Give it about a day, and I've done it up to two to three days, but I really don't notice a huge difference at that point. It's really just about a day, oh, and you'll get a nice, beautiful saddle tan color. So that's really kind of nice uh, if you're going after that specific color. You don't have to dye anything, and it's easy to get it 100% even. Enlisted Craftsman is sponsored by Rock Rooster Footwear. Mike, Garrett, and I all three have Rock Rooster boots, and I wear mine every day. They are very comfortable out of the box, and you order them online, they show up in just a couple of days. And for the price, you really can't beat them. And if you are interested in ordering a pair of boots, be sure to use our discount code. That is ENLISTED15. Again, that's ENLISTED15 at the end. Also, if you like what you're hearing, right now, pick up your phone. Please give us a rating on Spotify, whatever platform you listen to our podcast on. We really appreciate it. And also... If you're interested in donating to us, we have a Patreon account now. It is called Enlisted Craftsman. And the great thing about our Patreon account is that half of everything we make gets donated to a veteran organization of some sort. We haven't figured out which one we're going to donate this year to, but half of everything we get is going to go to a good cause to benefit veterans. Enlisted Craftsman is also sponsored by Maritime Knife Supply, the Louisiana Custom Knife Show, and the Scooter Brown Band. So that's one neat thing about Herman Oak, and I haven't really tried this with a ton of other leathers either, but oh, I do know that most chemically tanned leathers pretty much can't do that. So the other main leather supplier or leather uh, company I've been using, who hides I've been using, is uh, called Wicket and Craig. Now, Wicket and Craig is very good leather as well, and, I, and I'm relatively new to it, but so far, everything I've tried, I really, really like. Their leather is uh, it, it's an American tannery, and the 
great thing about that is you can actually order directly from the tannery even if you only want one hide. A local leather worker told me about them and so I bought a side and I tried it out and I really liked it. I tooled some of it the other day. It tools nicely. I still think that Herman Oak holds the tooling a little bit better, but it's this Wicket and Craig's pretty good. And the, and now Burt Foster was actually telling me at the at the blade show because if you look at Burt Foster's leather work, like his knives are outstanding, obviously, but Burt Foster is one of the few people whose leather to me in the custom knife world. Burt Foster has the leather that really stands out among master smiths, among among high end custom knife makers. His is really probably one of the top ones. And that's something common I've actually seen is that there are some of the nicest, most beautiful knives out there with some sheaths that are really kind of okay. And that's something that I'm trying to work on is getting the best sheath I possibly can. Because most most knives just, I mean, most makers, if, if they do make the sheaths themselves, it's just kind of a another thing that they've They've done it in a way that they were taught by another knife maker, and most knife makers, by the time they get to the point of making a sheath, it's they just don't really, they're not as into it. So, that's one thing. Oh, most knife makers actually sew their leather sheaths on drill presses. Some of them, some, a lot of guys have sewing machines, but a lot of people use drill presses still to sew their sheaths. They actually drill holes in them, and then use their drill press as a manual way of sewing the, the thread. So that's a little bit about different types of leather. And oh, another thing important about Wicked and Craig is they have many different little add-ons you can request to your hide. And you actually get one of them for free. And then you pay just a, it's not even very much, a little more for for other add-ons. So some of the add-ons is like, for instance, you can have them like compress it where they roll it through a couple smooth rollers and just compress that whole hide. That's one of them you can have them do. Oh, uh, you can order a hide dyed right from them too. That's what I did at this last one. That's really a time saver and you can tool it just fine. Um, you can have them send you a sample pack and they send you these few little squares of leather on a, on a string and they've got their different, Oh, uh, got their different, colors or different uh, types of hides, things like that. So there's really a lot of options with Wicked and Craig, and I'm probably going to keep using them. And their leather is actually cheaper than Herman Oak also. So I really like Wicked and Craig. I'm still playing around with them. I'm still using it. But so far, so good. Nothing but great things to say about it. And again, it's an American tannery. So I pretty much am to the point I'm not going to buy any leather that's not... A, L that's not American. So that's a little bit about the two biggest companies that are probably two of the better companies out there and some of what I use. So next, I figured I'd talk about the tooling process. So let's say, actually no, instead of talking about the tooling process, I'll talk about the design aspect. The design aspect to me is the hardest aspect of making a sheath. Hardest aspect of making a sheath, hardest aspect of making a holster, everything 
because you've got to des- you've got to think about the design, how you want to carry it, and you've got to make it fit the knife as good as you possibly can. So the uh, the designing part, there's a couple different methods you can make to typically make a knife sheath. One of them is to lay out your knife, and I always trace the entire knife every single time I do it. I trace around the knife, that's blade, handle, everything. And it's really hard to describe without seeing a video demonstrate this. I, I probably ought to make a YouTube video about it or something sometime. But I trace the knife, and then typically if I'm making a fold-over sheath around the cutting edge of the knife and the front side of it, on the, on the cutting edge side of the knife, I'll put it that way, if that's how you're looking at it laying down, I would you add about a half inch or so, and then go roughly follow the contour of the entire knife. And then I go about halfway up the handle or so, depending on the style of the knife. If it has a guard on it, then I'll make a welt with, uh, with a little notch in it where I can get them to kind of lock in. If it's a, uh, a not a fold-over sheath, a two-piece slab sheath, then I'll take and I'll give about a half inch on either side of it. And then the shape is just kind of depending on how you want to carry it and stuff after that. It's like I say, it's really hard to dis- to describe over a podcast. But oh, if it's a fold-over sheath, you can typically make a belt loop one of two ways. One is you can make it extra long and you can take and fold over that main piece so that it makes one big loop and then sew that onto itself. If you really want to be a lot stronger you can actually rivet that piece on, and rivets are way stronger than thread, and there's really no risk of cutting them. However, when it comes to rivets, though, what you have to think about is scratching your knife. So that's where thread is kind of a little bit better. If you use a groover inside of that leather and you recess it enough, you can make that thread kind of stay down so the chances of nicking it aren't near as great. However, it still can happen. And so rivets are great. The only thing about rivets is, again, like I say, risk of scratching your knife. And the if you put rivets on, you pretty much want to do it on a line sheath. And that's kind of a more advanced kind of sheath where you use like, say, a five to six ounce leather as the main piece. And then you'll use a two to three ounce piece on the other side, which is two to three ounce. That's a really thin leather. And an ounce of leather is actually equivalent to a 64th of an inch. So three ounce leather is three 64ths of an inch thick. And so that's, that's typically how, that's one way of making a belt loop. The other way, if you, like, the way of making a belt loop that way is great because it's all one piece of leather and it's simple. However, if you want a sheath that really hugs to your side, that the user wants that's going to just hug him, hug his side really well, not rattle around, not move around as much, that's when you want to make a separate belt loop typically. And that's where it's sewed on typically on the top and bottom, and it's a separate slab that you cut out and do everything to. So that's a, that's a two typical belt loops that you'll see, and there's other ones, other methods you can do too. That's really kind of however deep down the design path you want to go. 
And then so the next step after that is you typically make a welt or cutting block or or it, there, there's a couple different names for it, but it's another piece of leather that you want to put on the cutting edge side of the knife only typically, unless it's on the other side to help to add as a riser to help for your handle. But the cutting block you want to have to where really its main purpose, some of it is to is to give a little bit of width to your sheath. But really the main thing about a cutting block that's important is it acts as a barrier between your knife blade edge and the thread because you don't want to cut the thread. And a cutting block is the way that you minimize the chance of doing that. It doesn't prevent their... Coming from the nuclear navy, there's a big difference in the words prevent and minimize, but it does greatly minimize the chances of cutting the thread. So that's a little bit about design of, of a sheath. Again, it's it's very difficult to just talk about without showing. The next thing I want to touch on is how to tool leather, how to carve leather, and the basics of that. So after you've made a design and you've, let's say it's a, it's a two-piece slab sheath. If you want a tool leather, you typically want a thicker leather, depending on what you're doing. If you're making a wallet, there's only so thick you can go. But on a knife sheath, I like around the seven, eight, nine ounce range for tooling. You can use a little thinner, and but I wouldn't really go much thicker than that. But the most important aspect of tooling a knife sheath is, well, there's two things. One, a tip that has really helped is if you tape the backside of your knife sheath with clear packing tape, it, that will prevent the knife sheath from actually stretching outward. If it's going to stretch anywhere, it'll go up. The clear packing tape intention really, it, it either breaks or it doesn't, you can't stretch it hardly. So this, the, uh, like duck brand I've used that works, uh, the staples ones they sell that typically works. I normally buy the tape gun and just keep it in the leather shop. And I put the, uh, on the flesh side of the leather. So not the finished side that you're tooling, obviously. First thing you'll do, take your tape gun and tape that entire backside. Make sure every square centimeter inch of that back flesh side has a piece of tape on it and then what I do is I take a knife a little exacto knife typically works pretty well for this and I'll actually trace out the outline of that tape and that way all that I'm all that I'm dealing with I don't deal with sticky tape on the edges it's trimmed off to exactly cover the bottom side of the sheath of, of the piece of leather that's being used to make the sheath and then what I'll do is I'll take and I'll wet a sponge. And this is something I screwed up for a long time until uh, another leather worker told me how to fix it. Or, or he really told me what I was doing wrong. So I take a sponge and I get it damp. I get it, you know, I saturate it with water, wring it out a little bit. It's got to have some leather water in it. I take and I put that sponge on it and... I just wipe water into the leather and I do it a few times and you'll see the leather kind of soak in that water. 
and just take that sponge, wipe in it until it's somewhat saturated. You kind of see that medium brown color in the leather. And what I was doing before this was I was taking a spray bottle and completely saturating it with water. And that's a no-no. You don't need it that saturated, but it does need to be wet to where it's pliable. To where it's, I don't know if pliable is a word, but it's got to be wet to where it is. it does have water in it. Then the next thing that you're going to do is actually wait about 10 to 20 minutes. If you read Al Stolman's leather books on carving and such, he calls this putting the leather in case. In case means that the water of that leather is evenly distributed throughout the entire piece of leather. So you've got your tape on the backside, you've taken your sponge, and a very clean sponge, by the way, Weather work, the best thing you can do is have it in a separate room. If, if you have to do it somewhere in your knife shop, make sure everything's as clean as you can be and always make sure your hands are clean. Because once your leather's wet, it's very, very easy for stuff to get in that leather. Steel dust will make your leather turn green and then <laughs> green or black and spotty. And then your only option is to dye it black or really, really dark brown. So clean is very, very important. But once the leather is in case, and like I said, it's typically about 10 to 20 minutes, that leather is fully 100% saturated with the water evenly. So it's not saturated, saturated with water, but it is evenly distributed. That's what we're after. After that, you can start doing your tooling with your basket weave stamp. You can carve it. Typically what I do is I take a a swivel knife is what they call it, or I actually use a pair of dividers first and I kind of trace out a border. And then I take a swivel knife and I cut that border, but it, and it's very, very, you, it's very precise on when you cut this border. You don't want to cut too deep or because then you'll end up seeing it later. You also don't want to cut too shallow because if you go too shallow, then you'll actually not see the nice divided line like you want. And then after you have cut the line, you actually take what they call, I don't know if it's a beveler is the right tool, but I've got one. It's just a maybe a 30 degree angle with a little bit of texture on it and you stamp it and you go all the way around the inside of the border. That's how I do it. And then when it comes to using mallets also for stamping, a friend of mine from the Red Cow Pony Leather Company, for my birthday, she actually got me a uh, Barry King mallet. And it's not a typical mallet that's shaped like a hammer. It's a solid round mallet, and it's got a huge mass on it. And it has a uh, like a polymer or nylon head that's actually grooved a little bit for some texture and some grip. And you can... That mallet is amazing because it, it allows you to get 100% consistent hits. The weight of the mallet itself and just a little bit more of a tap is just perfect. I've never been more consistent with a mallet any in my entire life. So, Berry King mallets are good. I've also heard that Berry King tooling is good as well. And uh, after that is when I'll actually do the basket weave stamping. And that's another thing I, I don't even know a way to describe it. I just got to show, show it to really 
for anybody to understand the process on that. Then after that, I'll go around with a sunburst or something else, and I'll make a nice border around it. And then all that leather work is kind of contained in a nice little window. And then I'll move on to sewing, to, well, to gluing up the sheath. If there's lining, I'll glue that on. And then I will sand it down and sew it. And so the process then, when it comes to glue, I've tried several different glues when it, for, that are made for leather working. I've tried a, a couple things from Tandy's. I've tried barge which barge is a pretty common one. It's it's a very strong one. I've tried leather cement. I've tried regular yellow contact cement that you can buy at Home Depot. And my favorite thing I've found is called Eco Weld. Tandy sells it. It's a, it's a white glue. It kind of looks like Elmer's glue in a way. And they sell a couple different white glues. There's another one, Eco Flow or something. It's very similar, but Eco Weld is the best one. And the reason I say that is because all these other glues are strong. But over time, what I didn't what I never liked about any other glue is that over time they would get so sticky and tacky and if you don't use them like every single day and use them up, they'll get so stringy and then you'll have to mix in cement thinner and try to get them back up to using, but it's never the same as when you open it for the first time. And eventually it gets so hard, you have to throw it away and buy a new jar. Well, the Eco Weld is one glue I've used that never does that. And, and when it does get hard, it actually gets kind of rubbery and you can kind of take and roll it around in your hand. It's kind of strange, but it's also a very strong leather glue, surprisingly. It's so... Uh, you can pull them apart and like that and barge I'd say is the other one when you pull them apart you'll typically pull chunks out of the leather so it really kind of goes in deep and it really adheres to that leather well eco weld is the one I would recommend and barge and stuff is great but it's it's just like I say I, I can't stand the fact that it just hardens over time and it's never as good as when you open it from the very first time. So I don't go out in the shop and do leather work every single week. Sometimes I go weeks without doing it. That's where Eco Weld really shines. So Eco Weld's a glue I use, and it's also very important when you glue up a leather sheath, you want to add the glue after you've dyed the sheath or when you know you're not going to dye it again. Because if you do it before, either A, you better be really careful, or B, if you're not really careful and then you dye it, wherever you end up staining or dyeing the sheath, there will be a nice shiny tan spot where you miss with that glue and then it's not going to stain there. And even if you try and take it off, it's still, there's going to be a lighter spot. It never works. So always dye your leather before gluing it up. That's something I screwed up for a long time. So after you've glued up your entire sheath and it comes to sewing, there's a few different methods. So what a lot of knife makers do is they use a drill press and I'll talk about that method soon. What I do now, I have a sewing machine and what really is when it, when you have a sewing machine, it's really as simple as this. You take a guided grooving tool or a freehand groover if, if that's what you'd prefer to use. A guided groover really works well. 
after you've sanded down the leather on a belt sander or belt grinder, whatever, I like about a 60 to 80 grit fresh belt. So it really cuts and it doesn't burn. And I don't run my belt belt grinder that fast. I run it at like maybe 60% speed so that I don't burn the leather. And a sharp belt really is where that really comes important. But I sand down the leather flat and smooth. And then I'll take and I'll groove it with a guided grooving tool on both sides. And then it's pretty much to the sewing machine. And I've got an old Tipman pneumatic sewing machine that's really finicky. But it uh, it works. And so you put it in there and then the sewing machine does everything. It sews it about as perfect looking as you can ask for whenever when everything goes right and it's and it's adjusted correctly that knot will be pulled right to the center where you can't see it and then to tie it off at the very very end I typically manually that last knot it, it ties is kind of near the backside typically so I'll take the two threads and I'll pull from one to the other and I'll make sure that knot is tight and in the center then I'll cut off the threads and I'll leave maybe an eighth of an inch sticking out and I take a lighter and it start whenever it starts to melt, I lick my finger and press it into my finger. Then it kind of mushrooms over that nylon onto the leather and it's it, it kind of seals that thread and keeps it from moving anywhere, really. So that's one method. Another method is if you don't want to see that, that little, uh, that hot, that it's just kind of a flat spot on the in the nice stitching if you want that nice stitching to show you can take and leave that tail piece longer and run it through a thread on one of your previous stitches and pull it through on the back side and do it on the back side or you can tie it off but I'll tell you it's really better to to melt it and mushroom it in like I'm saying tying it off is only going to really last so long and whenever it's melted in there like that, it's it's pretty much not going to move. So that's sewing the sheath with the machine. When it comes to sewing the sheath, let's just say you're going to hand stitch it and make it look as good as the machine. When you hand stitch it, before you ever glue it together, it has to be grooved and it has to be, you got to punch the holes and they make a couple different leather punches that are spaced evenly. So you'll take a mallet, you'll use those th that special punch, and it'll normally punch about three holes at a time. If you're in a tight space, they come with like one, and you can punch one hole. And then it's very important, though, that you punch the same number of holes on each side that's going to be sewn. So your cutting block's not going to necessarily have any holes in it, but your front side and back side that you're sewing has to have all the holes in it and it has they have to line up perfectly. And so what you can do then is you can glue on your cutting block, you can punch one or two holes through it, and then use use what they call a harness needle to align to to go through the, the holes you've made. And then you can connect kind of connect the dots really with the the holes you've punched on the other side. You count the holes, make sure that you're aligning your needle to the right one then you can press them together and then you can take a manual stitching oh I, I don't know that stitching all I guess is the name of it it's got a little wheel on it a little bobbin with some thread and you can manually sew 
through the leather that way. And so hand-stitched thread, believe it or not, is actually better than machine-stitched thread because hand-stitched thread, you're pulling it as tight as you can on each side. And so it'll really, it's really holding that sheet together. With a machine thread, it, it pulls the, the knot, but it's not as tight and it's not as centered necessarily as you could do it with a hand with hand stitching. So don't get me wrong, hand stitching takes time. And for what you're getting, I think that it's, I just prefer to use a machine. But if I really have to do something precise, I will hand stitch it. And you can even double stitch, like going through the same holes you've already stitched through to put even more thread and make it have that much more thread in there. And sometimes if you've grooved it a little deep, you almost need to do that to fill it up, to fill up the, the nice groove to make it look good. So hand stitching is definitely better. Oh, and, and if you don't have a sewing machine, that's really the next best thing. And, it, and as I said, it's better. And if you don't want to do that, though, the other method that I learned, and there's a lot of knife makers out there that do this. There's really nothing wrong with it. It just doesn't have the nice stitched look that you would achieve by doing it by hand or with a machine. People do it on a drill press. And the way they typically do it on a drill press is they'll take around a sixteenth of an inch drill bit and you make a little fixture where you can set your leather on it and it has a hole in it. And then after you've glued up the leather, put all the piece put all the pieces up on the sheath, you've sanded it down, you'll groove the leather, and then you'll drill holes in it. And if if you have nice stiff leather, it'll it'll drill actually pretty nicely. So as long as your speed on the drill is right. So drill through the leather. And what's really important to drill those holes straight, which I look at sheaths a lot of times and they'll look beautiful on the front. You flip them over and the holes go everywhere. Well, on a drill press, if you're going to do it that way, the way you get perfectly straight drilled holes, you start the drill bit and then you lift the sheath up and make sure the sheath is sitting level and let that drill bit find its center. And if anybody has any questions about it, I can demonstrate on a Instagram video or something. But, and then after you've let the drill bit find its center, then plunge through the rest of the way. If you want them to be crooked every time, just as soon as the drill bit starts, keep drilling. They will go off center and they will not align on the backside. But if you do what I'm saying, and you let the drill bit find its center, put a little pressure, come off, and then drill the rest away, it, they'll come out relatively straight. So then after everyone, after you drill the holes, you can take and put a sewing needle in the, in the uh, drill press, and, and you're not going to spin it this time, but you're just going to use it in the drill press quill handle, and then you'll use that as a sewing machine, basically, except you'll be looping the, the knots and everything manually. And so that's a way that's, it's a way around it. It's a way that's, it's, a, it's easier than hand stitching that way. It just doesn't really look as nice. So that's another option. Oh, I, I did this for uh, many, many years. Made a, There's a lot of sheaths out there that I made on a drill press. So don't feel ashamed of it. It's, it, it works. Oh, I typically used like a waxed 
nylon thread with it, and that worked pretty well. So that's sewing. When it comes to finishing, now depending on what I'm doing, I will either... Well, it's already dyed. Depending on how I feel about the leather at the time, sometimes I'll actually put... I mean, I'd say it's about half the time, really. I'll take pure Neats foot oil. It's very important you use pure. Pure Neats foot oil, and then I'll kind of take a just a paintbrush or something, and I'll put Neats foot oil back on the sheath. And, and remember what I was talking about in the beginning. Neats foot oil is natural oil that's extracted from the hide. So a good way to to help moisten and really kind of nourish the leather is to use Neats foot oil, the very oil that you took out of it. So I put Neats foot oil on the sheath and then let it sit maybe a few minutes or so, let it kind of get encased with the Neats foot oil. Sometimes you can let it sit overnight. It depends. You don't want to put too much though. It's really important. If you put too much, it can actually bleed oil over time and you don't want that. So I let it sit, and you'll kind of know when the when the leather absorbs in. And I'll tell you what, if you just put Neats foot oil on typical leather stuff like what your leather boots, that will do more for for the boots living a life than anything else. Putting that Neats foot oil on every so often. I still have a boots from high school that I've had the the soles replaced on a couple different times, and I've went through several eyelets and no. Uh, and no telling how many laces, but the tops and the main leather part has still remained well because I have religiously put Neats foot oil on them. And I I don't wear them really anymore, but uh, they're still good enough I could wear. So Neats foot oil is really important for the life and longevity of the leather. So if you have a leather belt, something you wear every day that gets sweat on it, Put a nice coat of Neats foot oil on it every couple months, and that will do more for it than anything. So then after I'll put a, a coat, of Neat, coat of Neats foot oil, depending on how I feel, I kind of just feel the leather to see what I think. I'll then typically seal it or put like a lacquer finish on it. What I like the best is tan coat. There's another one I've tried before. It's, uh, I can't remember the name of it. It came in a white bottle from Tandy's. Oh, uh, it's a super sheen, maybe something of that nature. But tan coat is kind of what I like. It, it gives the nice finished, it gives just enough shininess to it that it has a nice finished look. And that's really kind of what I'm after. And I typically take, uh, you can take one of those spongy paint brushes and put it on. Or I, I've even just put some gloves on and put it on a paper towel. Viva brand paper towels is my absolute favorite paper towels out there. I'm sure every knife maker has their own their own favorite paper towels. I use so many of them in the knife shop, and Viva are my absolute favorite. But I'll I'll put the tan coat on the on the knife sheath, and I'll rub it down, and I'll and then I'll just kind of get it as evenly as I can, and then, then let it dry for a little while, and the sheath's pretty much done. Besides that, the oh the one thing I didn't talk about though was burnishing the edges. So when it comes to burnishing the edges, after you've sanded them, like I like I said, I typically use like a sh nice sharp 60 to 80 grit belt. After I have 
after I've sanded the sheaths down really nicely with that, I'll actually go and I'll take a piece of uh, 320 or 220 or even 400 grit sandpaper and I'll hand sand the sides. And that's and this is also something I didn't talk about earlier. This is why it's really important to use good portions of the leather. So typically legs, bellies, you don't want to use on a sheath. The, oh, one good thing about Wicket and Craig is that the bellies and stuff is actually better quality than any other any other leather I've used. The belly sometimes I'm actually comfortable enough to use it on the welts or the cutting blocks of the knife. But uh, typically for the knife sheath, and you'll you'll see it when you flip over the entire hide, you'll see portions where the fibers, the collagen fibers actually are a little rougher and, and wider, farther apart. That's typically always the belly. And uh, and the the legs and stuff is a little tighter, but the legs aren't as stable. The neck is always typically the toughest part of the leather. But any of the main side region, the back, the side, all that, that's all good leather to use. As long as, you know, you got to make sure the finish side's on a good too. Sometimes there's tick bites or scrapes, cuts, stuff like that. You got to watch that kind of thing. So that's a little talk about the, the portions of the leather you want to use. But the reason I'm saying that is because if you use belly... For any portion of that, this makes this almost impossible to get nice. When you're burnishing the edges, after I've sanded them down to around a 220-400 grit, if they're not that nice stiff oh, leather, though you just can't really sand them. It's just always loose, pliable, soft, and it and it'll never it'll never work. So then I take and. Bert Foster actually told me this too. Saddle soap, and it's like a, it's kind of like a Johnson's paste wax almost, but it's but it's called saddle soap. Tandy's sells it about any leather supply place ought to sell it. Uh, a a local Western store close to me sells it there. Any place that sells horse stuff ought to have this. That it's what they use for horse saddles and stuff. But that saddle soap, it's like a yellowy wax, and I'll put that on the edge, and I'll kind of saturate that nice sanded edge with it. And then this next step is called boning, which I use an actual bone for it, a piece of elk antler that I've sanded off, buffed, made nice and shiny. And you take that piece of bone, or you can use a nice smooth piece of wood that works well too, and you rub that the the side down and make a and just again video it's kind of hard to talk about but you just smooth that that entire side and if you the more you rub it the slicker it'll get and if you do it right you can get like a nice glossy slick finish with just saddle soap you can also do it by just wetting it with water but the saddle soap really works well it works better than than I've found with water and it'll lay all those fibers down and make it nice and smooth and then you can either leave it like that, or you can take what they call Edge Coat, which is another Tandy product made by Feebings. And instead of being a dye, it's more like a paint. You're never supposed to shake it, only stir it. You 
I typically take a Q-tip or they do make a special edge coat roller pin and and it does work well. You take and dip it in the edge coat and just make a nice and it'll, it's kind of like a, it only comes in two colors, I believe, dark brown and black. And it's kind of a thicker paint that'll hide all the lines and make a nice finished look on the edge of the sheath. So that's so... That that's about all I can think about to talk about a knife sheath. I mean, there's there's for one episode at least, there's a lot more I could go into. Um maybe I could do another Kydex one sometime, but Kydex is something I'm not near as familiar with as I am leather. Uh the biggest things with leather is as I said, use veg tan leather. That's that shouldn't even be an option. That's that's pretty much a, a must. And uh also, just use good leather, good tools, and some of the Al Stolman books when it comes to basket weave stamping or carving, all those are really good. They really have, it's a lot of pictures, so, and he talks all about getting leather in case, all that. Go go through those books. They're typically a great big book, too. It's like a, probably a 18 inch long book, but it has, but they have patterns in them for holsters. Oh, and he goes in and he explains different things on holsters, holsters as well. Like if a single action pistol has an ejector rod on it, how you have to make the holster just a little bigger. And there's, there's lots of good things in those books and they're relatively inexpensive. Tandy sells them. And also the Fort Worth Tandy's is, uh, the, their headquarters. And if you ever have a chance to go into that location, they actually have a, an Al Stolman museum. I got to visit a couple of years ago and it, if you want to see the most beautiful leather work that you never thought possible, go into that museum. It's a small museum. I think it's even free to go to, but I mean, he has everything from guitar cases to, to, uh, I mean, he's got holsters, purses, he's got things on the wall that you would think was almost a painting, but it's carved into the leather, like just absolutely amazing stuff in that place. So check that out if you ever get a chance. And Al Stolman really, kind of from what I've gathered and what I've seen, again, I don't know as much about leatherworking, but everyone in the knife making world that at least makes Damascus or knows of it. Most people know of the name Bill Moran. Bill Moran was the guy who recreated Damascus here in the United States. There was, and they claim him to be the first. I mean, it's one of those things, who knows? I think there were several people around that time all doing the same thing, but he was definitely credited with, with doing it first. So he basically brought knife-making to the public eye and showed his process back way before there was social media and and all that. He showed the whole process of how he makes Damascus and he kind of publicized it. Well, that's kind of who Al Stolman was for leather. He's the guy that wrote books back in the day, things like that. He he kind of brought leather working to the public eye, if per se. So that's so. Uh, that's all I can really think to talk about right now. I honestly, I didn't think I'd be able to talk about it for this long. Oh, 
I, w- I was expecting this to be about a 10-minute podcast, but there's a lot to leather. It really is a true art in itself. There's so much more that goes into it than a lot of knife makers really care to even dive into. Oh, there's one other thing I do want to talk about that is important, though, is, uh, and it's kind of a common thing, wet molded holsters, typically you see this in holsters, sometimes you see it in knife sheaths. Wet molded is a relatively common thing, and it's kind of neat because you can see every, like especially on a like a semi-auto pistol holster, you can see the extractor down to the, like, down to sometimes even on a Glock, like the grooves and the slide they cut for to give you grip. It's really beautiful how they can do it. And some people do it with vacuum sealers. They'll take and they'll put pistol or knife or whatever inside a bag. And with the vacuum sealer, they'll suck the the piece of leather down to it. And then they'll hold it like that a ways, then let it dry. And then you can normally wrap your knife in like saran wrap or something like that and uh, and that'll keep the knife from getting too wet but wet molded is pretty good for looks however when it comes to really holding something you need some tension on that knife so that's where i prefer to use a uh, to, to just use a, make it a tight fit to begin with. And when you make it tight, it actually, oh, it, it, think about it like breaking in a pair of boots. So you get a, especially a pair of cowboy boots. Those are the worst to break in, but once they break in, they're great. Like sometimes they're actually made to be tight. Like you wear them out of the boot store and it's like, oh my God, my feet hurt. Well, give it a week or two and those boots will be perfectly conformed to your feet, and they they just fit. Like, it's kind of weird to say like a glove, but your boots just fit perfectly. So, and and if you think about it, all this makes sense. Because remember to what I was talking about in the beginning, how all leather is is a bunch of fibers intertwined. Well, those fibers are are basically you're stretching out those fibers to a point where they will stay in that in that location. When you wet mold it, you're forcing them to to lay over that, to lay over whatever you're you're molding against and it's basically loose from day 1. That's why a lot of times these wet molded holsters what you'll actually see they have to do is they put a little rubber washer in there, a rubber tensioning device. And it'll pinch the uh, the holster, typically around the barrel, somewhere around the barrel, and it'll it'll hold that that one spot is what's holding that entire holster in. Then they might have a keeper strap that snaps over, whatever, something like that. But uh, but yeah, typically when a knife with a knife sheath, if you want it to really be held secure, it's a lot better to dry fit it and just dry fit it tight. I actually have a, a meat cleaver over in my kitchen drawer. That sheath was so tight to put on. I, I was putting so much force. I thought, oh my gosh, this is going to make the threads bust. And it didn't. But I I had to use so much force. I thought, oh my God, this is ridiculous when I put that 
that sheath on that oh cleaver. And if I and it, I made it a couple of years ago, but if I was to pull that cleaver out of the drawer right now, like you almost have to feel it to understand how good it fits. It fits so so well, and it's because that fit was tight to begin with. So that's a very very important principle in the in leather working is if you make it tight now as long as it's not tight like on the welt area of a sheath or something like that if it's tight where the leather is actually pinching the knife then that's what'll hold a sheath in that's why typically if I'm making a two slab leather sheath I don't I put a cutting block on the cutting edge but then on the other side I don't put anything I just allow that to pinch the knife blade and that tension there alone helps out with retaining the knife more than anything. So that's all I have for this episode of Leatherworking. If anybody has any questions about it, I'll answer them the best I can. Again, like I said, I'm a, I'm a knife maker more than a leather worker. I would like to get into it and be a lot better at it than I am. But it's one of those things, that it's really, truly an art in itself. And no... And I don't like to call myself an artist because I think to be an artist, you got to be just a little weird, even though I probably am. But that's some leather talk for you on a typically a knife or military talk podcast. I hope everybody enjoyed it and we'll see you next week. Yeah.